Good morning and welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, great service so far. Uh, we're very thankful to uh, Jesse Lee. It is his physical birthday today. Uh, and, and Kim Bassett always, uh, that was an incredible way to set our hearts, prepare us for today. Great job from the Goulds. Um, not only in a fashion sense, but in, a, in a, a spiritual one. Really appreciate your vulnerability um, on that front. Um, you know, nothing more powerful than vulnerability. So thank you for that. Um, and so we are, we are grateful to be here this morning. Uh, some of us were at the flag football tournament yesterday, which was great. So, uh, you know, there was that part of the song, and the first song was like, Hosanna. I was like, Hosanna, ah, Hosanna. Oh, out. I know Rob Taylor feels me on that one. Can't lift your arm up. Ah, it's like Hosanna. You know, that'll have to do for now. Um, but uh, it's great. We're grateful that our brother Landon is okay. He, got, he hurt, his, hurt his knee, uh, but it is not as bad. Not, no, no ACL, no MCL. Uh, LCL tear, tear is what it sounds like. So we're grateful for that. Stephen went to the hospital last night thinking it may, he, he had a concussion. He was having some nausea, but he is okay as well. No concussion. He's on his way back with, um, with Amy this morning. So grateful that God took care of us there. I know some of us still have a couple memories, though, uh, from the tournament. And we're, we're grateful for our brothers up in the Potomac Valley Church that we're able to win this year. Uh, and uh, so we get, we get, because we're one, one in body, we get to share in that victory. Um, so, but uh, I think that's how it works. But uh, so communal transformation is our theme for the fall. And uh, that whole idea there is we want to, be transformed as a community. And the way we are transformed is that that is exactly what the good news is. The good news is not just, oh, I want to get saved. Um, That's inherently a selfish desire. But the the good news is, no, Christ has reconciled us back to God through the conversion process so that we can begin the transformation process. So we can, every day after we are saved, look more and more and more and more like our Father. Uh, and more and more like Jesus. So that's an exci- that is good news. It's more, I think, more exciting. It's more active than just what can I get um, to be saved so I can go back to living the way I want to. Um, and so this is our challenge. This is our goal uh, here for the fall. And um, I had a, a complaint about the size of the baby. So I, had to, I, I made the baby smaller. So um, please let me know if there's anything else I can, I can grow in. Um, but uh, the baby is smaller now, a bit more perspective. Um, we're going through, uh, on Sundays here, we're going through characteristics of the uh, early church. And uh, those come from Acts 2.42 in the corner there, the first church there in Acts 2. There were there are eight sort of defining characteristics. And we're going to go through one by one them, uh, go through them one by one this fall and winter. We did one another last week. They were devoted to one another there in Acts 2. And then they were also devoted to the public reading of Scripture. And so that will be today. And this Wednesday. And we'll continue on through the rest of those in order uh, to close out uh, the rest of the year. And to really take, a, take, take stock of how we're doing in these, in these areas. So today will be scripture. And the title of my lesson is Storms Coming. And so I actually was writing this lesson and thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was a storm as I was preaching? And we got a little bit. And then we, we sang earlier, we sang, right, the storm's passing over. So we got the spirit working a little bit today. But the title of my lesson is Storm, Storm's Coming. Uh, hop over to Luke chapter 6 in your Bibles. Um, and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus tells, a very incredible parable. Uh, a lot of us are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew um, 6 and 7. We're also 
for a little bit less familiar, but we know about the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, which is essentially the same thing um, there that Jesus preaches. And in that really quintessential sermon, Jesus is building tension to a climax, this great story. And he's talking to people. You can almost imagine the people that are there. It's early in his ministry. You've got concentric circles of commitment, right? You've got those that are like, I'm all in. Bring it on. I know I'm doing awesome. I know I'm locked in. You ask me right now if I'm going to heaven. You betcha I am. I am sold. I can tell you all the things I've done. I know I'm good. And you have probably people that are like, I've done a couple things, but I also feel like I'm kind of struggling now. And Recently, I don't know. I hope so. And you've got the people that are probably like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not following God. I'm aware of it. Um, as you have these kind of different levels of commitment as they're following Jesus. And in Luke 6, Jesus says this incredible thing uh, where he begins telling these stories. And I wish I could, we could go through all of it. When I first wrote this lesson, I was looking at four different scenes. And I usually get, my eyes get bigger than my stomach usually. And I was like, going to do this huge thing. And I was like, all right, don't do that. It's too much. Uh, just look at the, look at the one uh, final parable. But if you can get a chance through Matthew 6 and 7 or here in Luke 6 to read the whole thing, Jesus does an incredible thing. He tells a story about two roads. One's wide, one's narrow. Okay. Uh, what's he saying there? There's only two options. That already is radical because we love the middle road out there. We, uh, how you, which road are you on? I think I'm getting toward the narrow road. That's what we all say, right? I think I'm getting We don't want to say. We don't want to make a choice. We love relativity. So Jesus, and we're no different than those back then. They loved relativity. And Jesus goes, nope, two roads. One's really difficult. One is the Monticello Trail. One is, you know, hiking up, uh, uh, you know, McAfee's Knob, you know, whatever it is. And then, well, the broad road's like I-64. It's very busy. And there's a lot on it. So we cannot take, uh, we cannot take confidence in popularity. We cannot take confidence in the fact that our church is big or we have lots of friends or everyone's doing what we're doing. Jesus says you got to choose. Um, and then he builds a couple more stories and he builds to, to one about two builders, two builders. And, uh, you know, in ancient times, uh, this, you know, this is what the Middle East looks like today and pretty much back then. Uh, you know, we, Jesus himself was a carpenter. We, we hear carpenter, even if you've seen like the Passion of the Christ, which is a pretty good movie, Jesus is building a table like out of wood. Because that, that's what we think as Westerners. We're like, he probably used a lot of wood. I don't see a lot of wood <laughs> options in Israel, and there were not back then either. So the word tecton, the Greek word for what Jesus did before he started his ministry for 30 years, um, was, was most likely a stonemason. He worked a lot with stone, because uh, that's what you have in Israel, is stone. You don't have a lot of wood. And so Jesus tells a story uh, about two men who build different houses. And it, it would have definitely uh, hit the hearts of his audience. They would have understood what it meant to build a home. We don't necessarily know what that means. I think, oh, I'm going to buy a home. Uh, if we do build one, then we can sort of uh, have it built to our specifications. Uh, you know, we can get a back, we can hire a backhoe to dig the foundation. We can get concrete for the foundation and have it delivered, right, in a cement truck. That's nice. Uh, we can have cement blocks uh, that are lowered into the foundation with power equipment, okay? We can have lumber and all building materials delivered and unloaded with you know, relative ease. We can have wall plaster come in sheets and roofing come in bundles, power lifted onto the roof. We can have the trusses built for our specifications, our exact specifications delivered and unloaded with power equipment. Even all that, you might think that's a lot. But back then, the idea of building a home was incredibly overwhelming. It was a strenuous activity. It took a lot of work. As you can imagine, if I put you there and said, build a home, you might be pretty stressed. Um, (laughs) 
there's not a lot to work with, but they would have used, as you can imagine, stone. They would have used rocks. They would have built, uh, built into the earth and, with a, and built, basically have a stone house. Now, you can't build in winter. It gets really cold in Israel, especially up in Jerusalem. So you really can only build in the summer. Uh, there's one problem, though, with building in the summer, is that the soil, uh, because of its high clay content, becomes very hard, almost like bronze. Actually, in Leviticus, it says the soil was like bronze. Um, and so you want to build in the summer, but maybe you start building and you realize, wow, this is very difficult. Uh, and the hot days, the long days in the Middle East, building a house, bringing the field stones together, digging in, you know, you got your pickaxe probably, you're digging into the earth and you're probably realizing this is a lot of work and I'm not getting very far. And it might be tempting to stop and to just say, this is good enough. You know what? I've done enough. Let me just sort of hunker down. It'll probably be okay. Let's pick up in the passage here in Luke 6, 46. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So we have two men, simple story. I think sadly this has become sort of a children's story that we don't really uh, look at and apply to our own lives. This is a powerful story uh, and it's the climax of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's getting us to a point to realize, uh, I think what we all struggle with, which is building our own house spiritually, right? When I studied the Bible uh, I, was, I began studying the Bible when I was 13. So, you know, in earnest, not my earnest, my parents' earnest, um, to become a disciple. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, my sister was sort of like the poster child for, you know, teenage conversions. She, uh, you know, she was awesome. She walked into church and they'd be like chanting her name. And, um, not quite, but it felt like that, you know. She was awesome. She was great. She got baptized like, on the, like right when she turned 13. She's still a disciple to this day. She's got three girls She's doing great. But I remember I'm a competitive person, always have been. If you played anything with me ever, you know that I am a competitive person. Um, and uh, so I saw that and I thought, you know what? I could do that. People like her, they're giving her attention. She, I can do that. But it was a competitive heart. It wasn't because of Jesus. And I remember my first Bible study, the guy at the time who was studying with me, uh, showing me the scriptures and walking me through you know, the gospel, he challenged me to go over the passages I had just read, we had just read, and to write down, you know, kind of what they mean. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go above and beyond that. I'm going to type it out. I'm going to do extra scriptures. Man, he's going to be so impressed. And he was, sadly. He was very impressed to sort of feed my competitive streak. And he, like, told people, ah, Drew's so uh, awesome. He had this typed out, you know, sheet of his response to these scriptures, and he's awesome. And I thought, yes, that's what I'm talking about, you know. You know, like, stop, 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 stop. Don't, don't, you know, stop building me up. But, uh, it was a competitive heart, but you know what I struggled with is in the Bible studies, there comes a time, and a lot of us have been there or will be there, 
So, spoiler alert, where you are in the Bible studies, and at first it's like, what does the scripture mean? Oh, it means this. All right, that's easy enough. Well, how about for you? Uh, that's where it gets pretty tough. Are you living this out? Um, I'd rather not talk about that. How's it been going in your life? Um, it's none of your business. How about for you? Um, I don't want you to judge me. How about for you? That's where it gets difficult. That's where people start to go, uh, this was nice until you started to uh, be sort of invasive. Now you can, you can go somewhere else. Um, that's where I was. I knew the scriptures. You could have quizzed me. I knew them all. But then when Nick or James said, Drew, what does the scripture on purity say? Oh, I know what that says. I could probably even say it in a different language. You know, I know what it says. And he goes, well, how, how's your purity? Um, well, it's hard for all of us. But how's your purity? Well, we all struggle. How's your purity? You know, we, I don't want to deal with it. You know, the word of God is living and active. It's a double-edged sword for a reason. It cuts. And we don't like when things cut. We, we get defensive. We try to protect ourselves. But I think this is the difficult part. Notice the two men in the story. They both hear the word. We're not dealing with this parable is not for people who've never heard the word. So about the orphan in Nicaragua that you're so concerned about that never heard the gospel. He's not involved here. Uh, this is for people who have heard the gospel. And sadly, you are all uh, in here today. So it applies. Even if this is the first time you're hearing it now. So it applies. But Jesus says, listen, it's not just hearing the word that's good enough. You've got to respond. You've got to respond because the man who who hears the word but doesn't respond, doesn't uh, live according to what he's read, it's like a man building his house with no foundation. You know, um, it's, it's amazing. Some of these, you know, there's a show called House Hunters. You guys probably see, right? Where they they they're they're kind of crazy. It's usually these young millennial couples who are like, we really want to live in Paris and have a view of the Eiffel Tower. You know, and they're like, what's your budget? 500 a month. You know, and you're like, OK, I don't think you know what this is. Like, uh, you know, they, they, they go to these places and like, oh, I want these windows and I want, you know, the, these drapes and I want this living room. What a great workspace. And, you know, but that's probably how I am, too. Like, what does the house look like? But Jesus is saying, how's its foundation? Because that's actually what matters. Um, how's its foundation? And we can imagine that man who probably wants or that woman who wants to build a house in the summer and starts to dig into the bronze earth and realizes this is incredibly difficult. Perhaps uh, I, this is enough. Perhaps I can stop now. The idea of long days and backbreaking work does not appeal to him or her, right? Uh, no thank you. Um, responding appropriately is difficult. That's, that, that's what this is all about. There's a lot of people meeting today in churches that are hearing the Bible, but I wonder how many are responding. I wonder how many of us this morning will hear the gospel, and I wonder how many will respond. Sometimes we have to really be taught how to respond. I, don't, I think because it can be so, we can be so religious. It's, it's very religious to talk about the word, it's, but it's not very vogue to talk about how we can change. Um, and it's not anything new. You know, in Acts, uh, in Acts 26, when, um, when Paul preaches the gospel, it says he preached repentance to the Jews, and then they tried to kill him, you know, because if I say, I repented of uh, my addiction to pornography, man, people go, that's good for you, Drew. If I say, I repented of my drinking, you know, my alcoholism, that's good for you, Drew. Yeah, I stopped smoking. That's good on you. I stopped yelling at my wife and, and put, you know, putting her down. That's good for you, man. 
But when I say, hey, you know, you should stop talking to your wife that way. Hey, you should stop drinking. Hey, you should stop, you know, your, your tobacco uh, addiction. The clapping stops. Don't talk to me like that. It's none of your business. Get away. Back off. Right? We don't like uh, things that are invasive because it makes us uncomfortable. We don't want to look weak. Um, and so we've turned this into religiosity of just kind of talking about Scripture and never applying it. Or if we apply it, we only apply it in areas that we already have strength. Yeah. And so we can make ourselves feel better. We can have an apathy, a real apathy towards Scripture. We read it and go, ah, it's not hitting me. It doesn't really mean anything. And we kind of give up on it. Uh, we read for a few minutes and we just kind of di- disregard it. Or maybe we just kind of hope that if we come to church, that'll be enough. Like, I'm not going to read my Bible. Uh, I'm just going to go to church. And if, I can, if, it, if church service is good enough, then I'll have a good week. And if, it, if church doesn't really meet my needs... I can sort of blame church for not meeting my needs, and then it's their fault because church is no good. I'm, uh, we, can, we can feel like, oh man, maybe they'll be able to help me build my foundation. Maybe uh, someone else can build it for me. Maybe if I, uh, you know, just hang out with people, but I don't read on my own. Maybe we read the Bible, this is a tough one. Maybe we read the Bible and we're really good at applying it to others. This is a good passage. You know who needs to hear that? Sally. Because she, she sure has some sin, that Sally. You know, this is a great passage. You know who would love this? That brother who's struggling big time. You know, that guy. Because he, he, his life is kind of a mess. We, we can do that, right? We can do it with our kids. Man, my kids need to hear this. My kids, you know, they really need the Bible. Uh, we're not very good at what it means for us. I've got to be honest. I'm, you know, I'm 29, been a disciple for uh, 15 years. This is really difficult for me. Every morning it is a fight to apply the scriptures to myself. It is difficult. It really is. Because I'm sort of like, I love things that are intellectually provocative. Like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Did you know that the Greek word for rock actually is a Palestinian word for Jesus? And we can all, I don't know. Not really. But, you know, wouldn't that be really awesome? Like, whoa, so cool. But then I'm like, but how am I doing? How's my marriage? How's my love for my neighbor? How's my faith? How's my forgiveness going? That's difficult. And it takes time. And you know what? Building that house is difficult. That's what the man realizes. He has the pickaxe. This, this soil is tough. It is hard. I kind of thought it'd be easier. And here we go. I'm an inch in. I've been working all day. You know what? This is probably enough. But you know what? Jesus says, not if, but when the torrent comes. The Middle East is very famous because of the, the, the soil doesn't really absorb water all that much. There's massive floods, flash floods all the time and it's just it's destructive so maybe that man he does build his home and he says you know what this is enough i'll just sort of i think i've got an inch or two down but he didn't find bedrock he didn't dig down to bedrock he just had a couple he's just his, his house is in the soil and he can think wow it's pretty hard now it's dry now so we're good but when the flood comes and jesus knows this when the flood comes not if when the flood comes that soil that was once like bronze becomes more like chocolate pudding. And imagine the fear, uh, realizing that the soil, the foundation of your home is now buckling. The stones start to, start to break. Um, everything around you crashes, and it's, it's a stone house. Stones start to fall, and Jesus says, the destruction is no small thing. Actually, it's a, it's a great destruction. Um, not just physically, not just in an embarrassing way, but for the health for the, of the family. Uh, someone could be hurt. Um, but it's, it's a great destruction of that house. 
It's massive. It's a big deal. You know, I think we can sometimes forget that the storm's coming. And we can think, you know what? It's okay now. I'm okay now. Let me just coast. Let me just not read my Bible. Let me just read it, but not apply it. Let me just sort of get by. We read because we know we're supposed to, but there's no real heart to want to know God. You know, right before this in the Matthew 7 account, Jesus says, you'll knock on the door and say, Jesus, we should be in heaven because we know you. But Jesus says, I don't know you. You know, there's an aspect of reading the Bible where we do it because we're supposed to, but not because we want to make ourselves known to Jesus. Right before this, Jesus says, you may know me. You may have come to church. And in that case, some pretty awesome, pretty awesome resume. You may have driven out the demons. Uh, You may have healed the sick. You may have performed miracles. But I don't know you. Jesus says, I don't recognize you. But I know you. Remember that one time I was at church? Remember for a few years there, I was pretty good? Remember? Jesus goes, I don't know you. And that's the hard part. Letting Jesus get in there because our our hearts can be scary places. It can be embarrassing to confess sin that's been stuck there for years. Bitterness that has been being harbored for years towards your mom, towards your dad, towards your neighbors. It can be embarrassing the sins we commit that that we think, how could anybody, they're going to be so, they're going to look down on me because I still commit this sin. It's embarrassing. Well, I don't want to share it. Let me just not deal with it. I want to look good. I want to look strong. You know, houses bring security. We really crave security. You know, when the storm comes um, and, and, and the, the, the soil turns to that chocolate pudding, right? And the house starts to buckle. Um, it's going to be even a, gr- a greater destruction than if he had just kept digging till he found bedrock. You know, if you were to ask anybody in the Middle East to this day what the most important aspect of building a house is, you know, according to Kenneth Bailey, it is they say you dig till you find bedrock. If it's, for, if it's an inch or two feet, you dig till you find bedrock. And I, it's interesting that we have all these, you know, it, it's sad, it's tragic. But we have all these hurricanes recently. That's actually, for, for us, some pretty well-built houses are being destroyed. Are being destroyed. And, you know, we, we, we have a... This is actually um, Yemen a month ago. There was a flash flood in Yemen. We don't really hear about it. We, we kind of hear about Harvey. We hear about the stuff that affects us. But this, there was a flash flood in Yemen that killed somewhat like 30 people. Um, and the kids are playing in the, in the flood there. But this is just a few months ago. This is a flash flood uh, in the Middle East, same Middle East 2,000 years ago that Jesus is talking about. Um, and this is the destruction of Haiti. Um, or sorry, not Haiti. Um, Puerto Rico, I believe. Um, and uh, we can see these pictures. And we can go, man, what a shame. What a shame. You know, even I think Hurricane Nate is going to come up our way. It won't be still a hurricane, but we'll catch a bit of it. We can see these examples and I think, the, uh, you know, to quote, it's quoting a movie, but uh, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he did not exist. And if Satan can get us to forget the storm's coming, if Satan can get us to not be aware that the storm's coming, we will make huge concessions, huge compromises in regard to our integrity, in regard to our character, in regard to our faith, and in regard to our purity, because we think it's okay now. You know, the house that the, the foolish man builds is okay as long as the soil remains dry. So as long as your life is good, I'm okay. There's no issues. There's no problems. Grades are good. Friendships are good. Health is good. Things are kind of going my way. 
And the world thinks that Christianity is a crutch, you know, that, oh, I don't need Christianity right now because I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, yeah, we all don't need it. When the soil is dry, any house is going to stand. Yeah. Jesus says the storm is coming. That's why I'm telling you this. It's going to be tough. You know what Andre and Brandon shared? The world is trouble. There's going to be trouble for all of us. It rains on the righteous and the wicked. Everyone's going to be affected. And Jesus wants us to have security. He wants us to have peace. That's what we want. We want peace. But we don't like the idea of working hard now to develop a a bedrock of security. Because Satan has convinced us that the storm's not coming. And we see it all the time. Then when things get tough, you see people start to fall away from God. Because they get angry at God. They get bitter at God. They get angry at disciples. They get bitter at disciples. And they say, I didn't know it was going to be like this. If I had known that my mom would die. If I had known that my son would get sick. If I had known that that, that society, you know, would would, would be so, so gosh darn difficult all the time. If I had known that I wasn't going to make that much money, if I had known that God was going to call me to give things up, well, well, come on. Jesus is going, hey, hey, listen, I know you're reading the Bible, but you have to know the storm is coming. And just reading is not going to be enough when the storm comes. We've got to respond. Respond, respond, respond. You know, Jesus wants us to have security, but to be honest, a lot of denominational Christianity today does not have security. And uh, we got to be careful because this can apply to us. But uh, there's not a lot of security in denominational Christianity, you know? Like, it changes all the time. It's stressful. Just last year, the Pope declared it was a, a year of forgiveness. For cert- you could be forgiven for certain sins. I don't know why. He woke up one morning and said, it's, it's good to go. It's, the authority lies in him, I guess. And I, I think I remember in Mark 2 saying, who is, who is this that even forgives sins? Only the Lord can forgive sins. Well, the Pope, when the Pope decides he wants to do something, he'll do it. And Catholicism will change based on the Pope's, which Pope it is. We have a fairly liberal Pope now, and maybe the next one will be fairly conservative. Maybe the next one, I don't know. But it's going to change all the time. It's stressful. Should we eat fish on Fridays or not? I don't know. That's, whatever, whatever the Pope says, right? Because authority lies outside Scripture for them. Authority lies outside Scripture. You know, there's not a lot of security right now in mainstream Presbyterianism or, or, or Baptist churches. They're split over the issue of homosexuality. It has driven churches to become conservative Presbyterian you know, or liberal Presbyterian. They do, not, they do not agree. Why? Because their authority, their security lies outside Scripture. We do not have to fear these things. If we find authority in Scripture, we have a bedrock. We don't have to be tossed back and forth by every culture's teaching. You know, we don't have to be like the Church of Latter-day Saints that in 1978 decided that it was okay for black people to go to heaven. And it was okay for them to reach higher levels of heaven. Apparently God changed his mind in 1978. Right? We don't have to live like that. We don't have to just change. We have security in scripture. And let's just not talk about Christianity. Let's talk about the world. Culture. We love to get in the sense of, man, this culture is, you know, like we, it's called, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. We think that what we learned today, did you know about this, this, this grain, that, that if we eat it, then we're going to be healthy? We think that just because we learned something, that people who lived in the 80s are dumber. We think just because we learned something, that means that the World War II generation is dumber. 
is stupider. We think those who lived in the 1700s are, are, are idiots. It's chronological snobbery. You look back and go, you know what? We got it going on. If you ate this way and talked this way, and if we really gave more power to this, these people and more freedom and more rights to those people, and if we really changed this and that, it's super easy to get sucked into that and be like, hey, you know, we got we to gotta change it up because we think we go, the Bible's not enough. But you know what? It's nothing new. It's nothing new. God has seen it all. You know what kind of world Jesus grew up in? A very conservative Jewish world. But we also have letters in the Bible written to the church in Corinth where sexual immorality was commonplace. There was a a cult of prostitution there. Male, female, gay, straight, whatever you wanted. That was common in Jesus' time. It was common to take a male lover in Greece in Jesus' time. You think it was like, oh, this is new. This is some new stuff. No, God's God's been there. He's saying cultures are going to change. Uh, he's seen it all. He's seen the rise of Rome and the fall of Rome. He's seen the rise of the Mongols and the fall of the Mongols. He's seen the, the civilizations that we don't even know about because history didn't exist yet. Prehistoric. God's seen it. And we're going, God, but are you sure it's going to work? Because I've seen some things. I'm 29. I really know what I'm doing. And uh, if you listen to my perspective, and when God talks to Job in the book of Job, he goes, were you there when I created the mountains? Were you there when I created the rivers? When I, because do I, need, do I need your advice here, Job? And Job's like, but God, but God, but God. Complaining, right? God's patient with him. God says, I still want to have a relationship with you. But you're stressing me out, Job. You got to chill out. I know what I'm doing. Turn over to Isaiah 28. Isaiah chapter 28. I have the NET version here, so just follow along if you can. Isaiah 28, 16. What exactly is this bedrock? Maybe you're asking. Well, Drew, you're talking a lot about this bedrock. You, it sounds important, but what is the bedrock? Isaiah 28, 16. Isaiah 28, 16 says in the NET, Therefore, this is what the sovereign master, the Lord, says. Look. I am laying a stone in Zion, an approved stone, set in place as a precious cornerstone for the foundation. The one who maintains his faith will not panic. What's our struggle? Fear. What's our struggle? Panic. We, We lose it. We freak out. We get fearful and we pull back. Satan loves to work in fear. The word approved means, means it's, it's been through the ringer. It's tested. The stone has been tested and approved. The Holman Christian standard of this verse says, Therefore the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshakable. Wow. I love that. We have a stone. Isaiah, Jesus quotes Isaiah more than any other Old Testament prophet. I think we know who Isaiah is referring to. God is saying, I will lay down a stone. And you know what? He's going to be tested. He's going to be approved. And if you have faith in him, you will be unshakable. You will not have to panic. Jesus is our bedrock. His words are the rock that will keep our houses secure. You know, Jesus has been tested and true. He came down to earth for that reason. Jesus is the rock foundation, tested and true. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected by his family. 
In Mark 3, it says that his family says he was uh, out of his mind. His family was not at first on board with his ministry. You know, Jesus knows what it feels like to be overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He knows what it is to have insults hurled at him. Insults that were made up, false testimony brought about to slander him. He knows what it is to venture into the unknown out of obedience for God's commands. When he goes to the cross, he does not know exactly what that will entail. But he obeys, even though he doesn't quite understand. Jesus knows what it is to hear the deceptive lies of Satan in temptation. If you simply worship me, I'll give you some food. I'll give you power. I'll give you success. Jesus knows what it is to be tempted. In fact, he was tempted in every way. Jesus knows what it is to grow up with one parent. With one mom, a single, a single mom household with a lot of kids. Jesus knows what it is to work a difficult, physically demanding, full-time job. He would commute six miles a day to the city of Sephoris to be a stonemason. Jesus knows what it is, finally, to deeply love one who does not love him back. And that's you. Jesus has loved you deeply in unspeakable ways, ways that we cannot quite understand, to depths that we'll never comprehend. He has loved you knowing that you might not love him back, knowing that you probably won't, but he loved you. That's a stone I want to build my house on. Not on what the world says or what our authorities in the city or in the country say. Not on what my wife says. Not on what my neighbors say. Not on what my parents say. Not on what I think is best. Because I think it's best because I think it's still me. And I change my mind quite often, as it were. Do we want to build our house on Jesus the bedrock? What has stopped you from digging down to the rock? Church, what has stopped you from digging down to the rock? Jesus says it's simple. I'm grateful that it's simple. Um, The goal is, with the storm coming, we've got to dig down to the rock, and this is how we do it. Ready? This is the practical. You walk away. This is the goal for the week, is that we not only read our Bibles every day, but in addition, we put it to work. Okay? We put it to work. That's all. That's all. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's all. Okay? We got to read our Bibles and let's put it to work. This is simple, but it's also difficult. If we read a scripture, it's, let's say, let's read it. What does it say? And how can I live this out today? What does it say? And how can I live this out today? How can I live my life according to what God wants and not according to what I want? This problem is endemic to the human population since the beginning of time. Why did Adam and Eve fall? They said, I know what God's command is, but I think that this course of action is better. I want to be God, Eve says. I am in charge. And Adam goes along with it. We're no different. We know God's commands. Will we follow them? Or will we, will we just be religious and you know, appease our consciences until we die, only to meet God and say, 
God, let me in. Remember all the things I did, all the Bible discussions I led? Remember all the times that I, I kind of proved I knew something? I'm good. I know. I'm. Jesus goes, I don't know you. You never opened up your heart to me. You never got vulnerable. You never dealt with the things in your heart. I don't recognize you. You may recognize me, but I do not recognize you. You know, why have we stopped digging down from the rock? Is it because we keep reading the Bible for two minutes, hoping that it's sort of some magical transformation? I read a scripture and nothing happened. I still am sinful. Something's wrong, you know. Um, or will we, will we work at it? Because we know that it's just like building our house on the rock in bronze, you know, tough soil in the summer in Palestine. But we know that the work we do now, that if we can build down to the bedrock now, when the storm comes, we will not have to fear. We will not, you know, C.S. Lewis says, uh, a Christian is a person who has to have the utmost honesty toward oneself. If we can face our fears and put them at the feet of the cross, at the foot of the cross, then when Satan attacks you, you have a truth to hold on to. You have a promise. When Satan comes and says, you're no good, they're going to look down on you. You can say, you know what? I, I know that I don't have much going for me, but I have Jesus. And in fact, that's all I need, Satan. So get out of here. When Satan comes along and says, you know what? You didn't read your Bible on Tuesday. Drew said to do it. You didn't do it. You know what? You shouldn't go to church on Wednesday because it could be embarrassing if someone finds out. You can say, you know what? This is not some sort of performance-based theology. I have Jesus. He's already died for me. He's already loved me. Even if I blow it, I want to keep on digging. I'm going to keep going for it because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Get out of here, Satan. Get out of here. But we we can stand those tests. When we've done the fighting every morning, when we, if you can win the fight in private, it'll be easy to win that fight in public. We've got to win the fight in private. You know, when times come and people get hurt, when our spouses, God forbid, get sick or die, or kids die, uh, when our families oppose us, um, when things we really want come knocking, that pretty girl who's not a disciple, who wants to date you, that good-looking guy, he's sharp, has a good job, wants to date you, when that job paying twice as much, comes a knocking, you can say, you know what? I do not get my security from my achievement. We can say, you know what? Even though my son has passed away, he's gone to be with the Lord. We can say, you know what? Even though this person's passed away, there are people who are living that I can help. And Jesus says that very thing. We cannot control those who pass away, but we can control those who are still living around us. We always have opportunity to do good. But we can take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And that will give us security. But we've got to be able to take captive those thoughts. Most of us can't take those thoughts captive or we don't. And we're just ruled by our emotions. We're slaves to our emotions. And we go, that's just how I am. Change. Jesus should change based on my emotions. Okay, well, that's not going to bring much peace for anybody. Jesus wants us to understand that he is the rock. He is the foundation. And every day we can dig deeper to build our houses on that rock. Christ is our solid rock. Christ is all we will ever need. And I want to encourage you, even if you blow it this week, even if you forget to read, or if you read and you don't know how to respond, don't let Satan come knocking an accusation. Just next morning, get out your shovel and keep digging. Next, that evening, get out your shovel and keep digging. Jesus wants us to always pray and never give up, right? Never, ever, ever quit. I want to close out with some lyrics to a hymn, to a song. 
And we're actually going to sing this song as we close out today. The song is called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant and blood support me in the whelming flood. When every earthly prop gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's sing this song together, and let's not forget, church, that the storm is coming, but we have a bedrock in Jesus Christ. Amen, and to God be the glory.